Amen. Well, I want to introduce, we have a guest speaker this morning. I want to introduce him to you. His name is Pastor Paul Kim. He is a part of an organization called City to City LA, which plants churches all over LA, resources, church planners. It's a terrific organization. He was formerly a pastor at, assistant pastor at Pacific Crossroads. He's been ministering in the LA area with his family for eight years. He's a tremendous speaker and person. We're really Excited to bring him to City Light, and if you can come right now, Paul, we wanted to welcome you. Why don't we give him a warm welcome as he comes and bring the words. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you, thank you. What a privilege. So glad to be here with you, though I, actually, you know you're right, the lights. I can't see you, but um, I think you can see me. Anyway, it's a privilege to be here. I have to say, I, I enjoy the space. The piano man out in front kind of intrigued me a little there. It's like, um, you know, it took a moment for me to figure that out. But um, anyway, it's, it's great to be here. So I think L.A. is a, per, uh, a fascinating place. I used to live in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia is a big city, but L.A. is cosmopolitan. Um, and it goes from uh, the city where the people who are experiencing homelessness is second only to New York, to the glitzy and glamorous lives of the rich and famous, right? And, and you just see the collision of such a vast spectrum of lifestyles. And it's not just that these different people have, you know, some have a lot more to spend and others don't. It's these spectrums represent different realities, different mindsets, different internal worlds that they live in. For example, if, if, uh, if we need to get a job, you're looking for a new ministry position or something, what do you do? Send out resumes, work your network, you know, maybe you go get some extra training. I mean, you don't just wait for something. You go hit the pavement, you know, go make it happen. No one's going to just hand it out to you. But what if you were a crippled beggar in Bangladesh? What are you going to do? Send out your resume? I mean, what are you going to do? Work your network? I mean, what... What can you do, right? There is no illusion that you're going to be able to solve this problem. Instead of thinking you got to try harder, you're thinking, I need mercy. I need mercy. Right? So it's not just resources and lifestyles. There's a different mindset, a a different way of viewing our reality. And I want us to have that concept in mind as we look at these four stories in the gospel of luke so turn with me we're looking at luke chapter 18 it's a bit of a lengthy passage because we're going to look at four different stories but please bear with me as we start at verse 9 he also told this parable to some who were trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tithe of all I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a rich ruler asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will be, you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more this, many times more in this time, and in the age to come, eternal life. We can go to verse 35. And he drew near to Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came to him, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. That's a lot of ground to cover. We're going to look at these different stories, these different characters in the stories. And we're going to take the first and the last together. We've got the tax collector in the temple and this blind beggar. And what do they have in common, this tax collector and this blind beggar? Well, they both cry out, God, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? The blind beggar, the story we just read here at the end, he's cry, he cries out loudly, persistently, even when others are saying, hey, dude, man, just, you know, quiet, shut your mouth. Why are you making such, a, such so much ruckus? Even then he cried out all the more, have mercy on me, Jesus. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Literally, your faith has saved you. Jesus pronounced not just physical healing that we saw but he's saying you're spiritually healed as well you are saved the tax collector as we just read he's in the temple can't even lift his eyes to heaven beating his breast crying out god be merciful to me a sinner and jesus said that man went home justified that man went home right with god 
One needed forgiveness. The other needed healing. But can I say, they both had the same posture. They came weak and undeserving and bankrupt. Right? None of them were bartering with God. Hey, well, God, I'll tell you what. I, I promise I'll do this. You know, I'll make a deal with you. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll offer this. They had nothing to offer. What's a tax collector going to offer? To what's, a, what's this blind beggar going to offer to God? They could only beg for mercy. I think though we are not in the world of tax collectors and blind beggars, there is a way that we can, I think, relate to the feeling, these feelings. that Maybe you can think of a time when you felt really guilty. You messed up. You messed up. Maybe in a moment of anger or lust or impulsive foolishness, you just did something that you really regret. Maybe... Uh, Maybe you did something to your kids. Maybe you did something with your spouse. Maybe maybe it was just in a moment of lust. Whatever it was, you feel like dirt. Or, um, as was just prayed, maybe you were sick. I mean, this is... I've heard some pretty horrible stories of the flu season this year, and with the coronavirus, I think any little you know, itchiness in the throat, and we're all nervous and scared... But you know what it's like to be laid up in bed for days on end, body aches and chills and fevers, and like you can't, you can't even stay awake. You're just knocked out for days, moaning. I remember just moaning in fetal position. Oh, Jesus, please just save me. Heal me. I pray for myself. Heal me, Lord. Heal me, please. Well, that's the world of the blind beggar, the tax collector, right? We, we have a sense of what that world can feel like. Then there's a story of the children. The children, you got to remember in this society, I mean, we love the kids. Kids are precious. They're beautiful up here. But in Jesus's world, children didn't count for much. In fact, they literally were not counted, right? When you read of the crowds, there were 5,000 men. Women and children weren't counted. They weren't regarded. They, they weren't valued in society like tax collectors and beggars. They also were marginalized by their society. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now what's that mean? you got to receive the kingdom of God like a child. I think particularly in this context, as we just saw the tax collector and the blind beggar on the other end, I think this reference to receiving the kingdom of God like a child is to speak of their insignificance, their weakness. They have no money. They have no rights. They are, in their own way, bankrupt. I have uh, four kids. I have four boys. We say, boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. That kind of sums it up. I, it's, just, it's just a lot. <laughs> um, and raising our boys, and let me just tell you, as any parent here will tell you, every meal, 
Every article of clothing, every dinky little toy, every doctor's visit, every amusement park admission, every trip, everything. I paid for that. I paid. Never has my boys pulled out, dad, dad, you know, hey, I know you covered the last one. I got this one, right? No, it has not happened. My wife and I, well, mostly her, cooks every meal. <laughs> um, we do their laundry, we teach them, we play with them, we put them to bed, we take care of them when they're sick. Never gave us a dime. And you know what, I'll tell you what, even if they did try to pay for it, even if they did try to give me something, who gave them the money to begin with? Where'd that money come from? Aside from some grandparents from time to time, but mostly, right? They have nothing to give. The life of a child is a life of dependence. That is their entire existence. They can only receive and receive and receive. Tax collectors, beggars, children. Right? They, there's a, a collage to help us sense this posture of coming Weak, powerless, undeserving, guilty, bankrupt. And Jesus says, unless you come receive the kingdom of God like that, you cannot enter it. But for ourselves, for a lot of us, I, I'll assume we are not so bankrupt and powerless a lot of us i'm guessing maybe not all but we've got some resources some education right we've got some abilities we've got some strengths we've got some morality at least you go to church i mean that's something i in our world right you're you're not a bad person right you're not a violent terrorist a mass murderer you're not some orphan in haiti and in this regard Maybe we actually relate better to the, to the next character, the rich young ruler, who stands in stark contrast to the tax collector, the children, the blind beggar, right? He's a foil to accentuate a difference. This rich ruler says he's known the law since he was young, yeah, that he kept the law. Everything's great. So what else do I need to do to receive eternal life? Jesus says, sell all you have, give it to the poor, come Follow me. But the rich ruler went away sad because he was loaded. He was rich. Where children, beggars had nothing, this guy had everything. He has money. He has power. He has privilege. He is a religious leader in a, in a religiously conservative society. He was probably well regarded in his town. He, he, he was a moral man. He was wealthy. He had influence. My guess is he was probably athletic and good looking too. You know, I mean, he's just, some people seem to have it all. It's not always very fair. But Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Right? He says not so subtly. There is a distinct disadvantage in being rich or in luke 6 blessed are the poor why why 
I think a lot of us, even me, were like, why? Oh, I mean, can't we have both? You know, <laughs> can't we have both? I'd like to have as much of it as I can. You know, like, is it really so bad? Why is it so such a disadvantage to be well resourced? Well, I think, of course, we could love money and love things and. That can replace God. But I think more fundamentally, especially in this context, there's something else going on. The Pharisee, in the first story, at the temple, saw himself as a good person. Right? I tithe, I fast. I'm not like those people. And that goodness blinded him from the fact that in God's sight, actually, Pharisee, you're a sinner. You're condemned You don't see your spiritual bankruptcy. The tax collector, he sees his spiritual bankruptcy. But the Pharisee is blinded to his need. I think likewise this rich ruler. He has, he kept the law, he's resourced, he's respected. He, and having so much, he is blinded to the fact That he is spiritually just like these other characters. Children, beggars, tax collectors. The danger of wealth and power is that it makes us feel like we have something. We have something. We've got resources. You know, we we can, we we don't have a job. If we don't have a job, we're going to do something about it. And I'm going to even say, and rightly so. Rightly so. You do have resources. So go do something. Godly thing is not, I don't have a job. Oh, what to do, what to do. No, if you come to me for pastoral counseling, I would say, go send out your resume, hit the pavement, talk to people and pray. Um, But go do something. Don't just sit there. We do not live in the world of crippled beggars of Bangladesh. We do not live in the world of orphans in Haiti. And I think living in a world of being so resourced and empowered, we too can be blinded to our powerlessness before God. And in fact, I think Jesus is saying, not only might we, we probably are. We probably are blinded to how bankrupt we are. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Why? Because we don't think we need mercy. Resourced people don't beg. You don't need to beg. We don't know how to beg. And that world of being resourced bleeds into our spiritual lives. The theological term we call for that, we call that is legalism. It is our effort, our resources, our goodness. But Jesus is saying the only way we come to God is when we realize that we are like children, beggars, and tax collectors, desperately broken, weak, bankrupt, and undeserving And that this is the only way we'll ever find him.
the only way we'll ever receive the kingdom of God. It's interesting in our passage that there's this question now of Jesus telling the rich ruler, well, sell all you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. And and that he walks away sad. And then Peter says, hey, we've left our homes, we've left our families to follow you. And Jesus' reply is, you will be blessed many times in this life and in the age to come you will have eternal life. Now, how, how are we to interpret this? Because it sounds like Jesus is saying, if you want eternal life, sell all you have. We're going to take an offering right after the sermon, okay? Sell all you have. You can thank me later, Dennis. Sell all you have. Give it to God. Give it to the poor. And follow me. And if you don't, goodbye. So sorry. How sad. Right? And if you do, Jesus will say, you will receive many times more and the life to come, eternal life. How are we to interpret this? Well, I think most of us will recognize this. That doesn't, that doesn't quite line up with the rest of Scripture, which says that we are not saved by sacrificial altruism. We are not saved by asceticism. We are not saved by our charity. We are not saved by any good work we might do. We are saved by grace alone. God's gift to the undeserving. But the question still remains, okay, it doesn't mean we're saved by charitable giving. But what does it mean then? What are we to do? with this command to sell all you have, give to the poor and follow me. Because if that's not how we're saved, does that mean we don't have to sell all we have? (laughs) Right? Why didn't Jesus go up to the rich young ruler and say, hey, yo, you know, I know I told you to save all you have, but actually to get to heaven, it's not about how giving to the poor. It's just about being saved by grace. So you can still be saved by grace. Right? Why? Right? Why didn't Jesus say that? Why did Jesus let him walk away for his unwillingness to sell all he has? And why does Jesus say to Peter, you will be blessed, even with eternal life? Well, that's a good question, right? Uh... I think in this context, it has, it ties in with what we've been saying about children and beggars and tax collectors. The children, beggars, tax collectors are more than willing to give up the bankruptcy that they have to gain the mercies of God. Begging, beggars don't negotiate. Right? Beggars just beg. They don't weigh the cost and benefit the way the rich rulers. Ah, well, hmm, how how does that tabulate here? They don't do that. They know they've got nothing. And so they give up the nothing they have. It's an obvious choice. But if we feel it's hard to give up what we have, when I feel like it's hard to give up what I have, 
It only shows I'm not really bankrupt. I have something. I have that something that I don't want to give up. We're not coming to God in a posture of powerless children, penniless beggars, guilty tax collectors. The spiritually bankrupt, spiritually powerless realize they have nothing to lose, everything to gain. But when we have trouble giving up what we have, when we feel like we have something to lose, it shows we're not spiritually bankrupt. But the only way to come to Jesus is as spiritually bankrupt. There is no other way to enter the kingdom of God. Charles Spurgeon famous British preacher preached once, oh, that you would know your need of Jesus. You are poor, miserable, bankrupt before God. Christ alone can enrich you. I'm going to say this is a difficult passage and a strong warning. I don't know your particular lives here at City Light, City Light, but... Suffice it to say, we live in the wealthiest country in the world. We live in arguably one of the wealthiest cities in the wealthiest country in the world. My guess is many of us, we are educated, upwardly mobile, successful professionals who live comfortable lives pursuing wealth and status and pleasure. We do not feel like powerless children, condemned tax collectors, penniless beggars, nor would we allow ourselves to become so. That is not our world. That is foreign to us. No one relates to us as tax collectors, beggars, children. No one sees us that way. We don't see ourselves that way. We don't think anyone sees us that way, including God. And that's the problem. Jesus warned the church in Laodicea, you say I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See, it's not that we need to be financially poor. It's not that power and money in themselves is a problem. It is the danger here that we unwittingly bring our middle class sensibilities into our spiritual life with God. We don't know how to not be middle class. We don't know how to think like that, how to act like that, how to beg like that. All we know is how to be middle class, but you cannot enter the kingdom of God middle class. You can only enter as poor and bankrupt, penniless and broken, begging and desperate. There is no other way. There are no spiritually middle class. We only come as poor and bankrupt, or we cannot come at all. You see, Jesus is not offering a can-do religion for empowered, upwardly mobile, middle-class people. He is offering hope to desperate, hopeless sinners who are begging for divine mercy. 
The hymn writer put it this way. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Foul. I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. See, the gospel is humbling. It requires us to acknowledge, to recognize we are, in fact, bankrupt, hopeless, helpless, We got nothing. That's how we enter. Some of us, we do not see ourselves this way. And we do not want to see ourselves this way. And because of that, like the rich young ruler, we may walk away sad. But if by God's grace, we see that we are, in fact, powerless, weak, penniless, broken, guilty, hopeless, bankrupt, then, you know what Luke 18 is saying? He's saying, insignificant children are welcomed. Blind beggars are healed. Tax collectors are declared righteous. There is good news for those who are bankrupt and poor, powerless and penniless. There is good news. These people find healing. These people get right with God. Rich young rulers walk away sad. But there is mercy for those who need, who realize they need it. There is mercy for those who realize down inside that's what they need. See, this is the good news. That when we see we need it, there is mercy there. You see, Luke 18, we take, I, I, you know, it's hard to hear for us, but it is not hard for those. This is beautiful music, beautiful, wonderful stories for those who are condemned tax collectors, powerless beggars, children. And in our world where there is so much pain and sorrow, brokenness and suffering, the good news is there is mercy. There is a God of mercy for those who realize they need it. I believe that we in our lives, you as a church, we as a city, we would experience the mercies of God so much more abundantly if we only more fully realized how much we desperately need it. Three more thoughts. This is the posture with which we enter the kingdom of God and this is the posture with which we live in the kingdom of God. We, Jesus says, unless you enter like a child, unless you receive it like a child, you cannot enter. But it's not just how you get in. It's how we live. God is always the rescuer. We are always the needy. God is always the provider. We are always the bankrupt. God is always the answer. God is always the healer. We don't just start with that. That is the Christian. That is life in the kingdom. That's how we see ourselves. That's how we relate with God. He's the hero. We are the rescued. Every day we live in his mercy. Bankrupt, but mercy found. Number two, 
Weaknesses and troubles can help us learn this humble posture. All right. We are not condemned terrorists, penniless beggars in Bangladesh, orphans in Haiti. That's not our world. But we can use the sicknesses, unemployment, inadequacies, failures. I hate these things. I hate these things. But by God's grace, they can be little little tutors, little training wheels, things to help us realize the greater spiritual reality of our need. When is the last time we've prayed? Oh, God, have mercy on me. But maybe when you're sick, when you're looking for that job, when your loved one is dangerously suffering with cancer, then do we not learn how to beg for mercy? We learn, therefore, how to live in the kingdom. And some of us, I'm sure we're already there. We know we failed. We feel our guilt. We have such regrets. And I would say, as I believe Jesus would say, you are closer to the kingdom than you realize. You're just one step away. You are so close. Not that we stay in our weakness and our guilt, but that's your that's where we learn to say, Oh Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the good news of our passage is there is mercy to be found. Number three, we can practice this posture with prayer and repentance. What does it look like daily to live in this posture? Because I'm going to say it doesn't come naturally to us. We only know how to live with our middle class sensibilities. But we can practice this posture in prayer. Prayer is saying, I am weak, you are strong. I'm not the answer, you're the answer. I need help. I need a lot of help. Oh God, help me. Oh God, have mercy on me. Right? Prayer leans us into that posture of knowing that we are bankrupt and God is the answer. And there is a prayer seminar coming up, February, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, sorry, just thought I'd slip that in there for you, Dennis, okay? Uh, And repentance. Repentance is saying, I'm a sinner. Repentance is saying, I need forgiveness. Here's my failure, here's my guilt. Lord, forgive me. Lord, have mercy on me. That as we pray, as we repent, right, we, we grow in this posture of weakness and humility that we might more and more live in the daily mercies of God because we see we need it. I want to end with this little um, diary entry. Years ago, a church member was kind enough to share something she had written I spent quite a lot of time this morning trying to fix my hair. It's a woman. Fix my hair and put on my makeup because my husband is on vacation and at home or maybe just a little spurt of vanity. 
But as I sit here now, Lord Jesus, fresh from my time before the mirror, I see that I've put on not just a hairdo and makeup, but a facade, armor, an entire persona. It's so easy to believe this external creature I've created. Together, strong, with it. But in the presence of you, of your love, you remind me this is all an act. I don't have to put on an act with you. In fact, I can't reach you as long as I'm putting on an act. I see that I am still inside that short, fat, unattractive, overly excitable, her face pressed up against the window, desperately wanting more, little girl of my childhood, a loser. I tried so hard to cover her up because she's not very cool, certainly not worth loving. And I've succeeded well. I fooled nearly everyone around me. I've even fooled myself. But in that lie, I've lost you. You've somehow miraculously given me a moment of truth that as that unattractive little girl right now, I feel you like never before. I think we all try to cover up fix ourselves, improve, look strong, put together, have the right image, you know, creative, cool, authentic, hip, whatever. But you're invited to life in a very different kingdom where we don't have to be beautiful and successful. In fact, it is a distinct disadvantage. We accept our weaknesses. Spiritually speaking, we recognize That's who we really are. So we come as that little girl. We come as a blind beggar, tax collector, as little children. Let Jesus meet you there. Come and receive his mercy. Dear Lord, we bow humbly. We confess our pride. We confess that our middle-class sensibilities have blinded us from even beginning to understand what it is to, how we're supposed to relate with you, what normal life in the kingdom was supposed to look like. And so by your mercies, Lord, would you show us our weakness? Not to make us feel bad, but so that we could realize how much mercy we need so that we could receive it. And Lord, I pray that that mercy would flow so abundantly here on your people. For we are indeed broken and needy and wounded. We are indeed this little child we try to cover up and show as strong. Oh, may there be mercy. Mercy for all of us. Because that is actually what we need. In Christ's name we pray.